Hello, my girl. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Martin. How are you doing? I'm doing great as well. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Recently, we recorded that episode with Jamie Brennan, the head of Thailand Global Selling for Amazon. It was pretty amazing. We had to do some edits, so some of the transitions are weird, but I still think it came out great, yeah? Yeah, so just watch the video until the end. Jamie's insights are incredible. Enjoy. Let's have some fun. How you doing, Martin? I'm doing awesome, Michael. What about you? I am, you know, I'm okay. I'm super. I'm wearing black. I changed yeah. my clothes. Perfect. Much just for now. you. Yeah, much better than life. Jamie didn't get the memo, but next time, maybe we'll tell next her. Time, we didn't maybe, tell yeah. her. We did not tell her. That's right. That's right. right. We keep the black for us. Is this, is this the first time we're not going to talk about France? Do we really have to go there? Mm, yeah, actually, like, yeah. Let's not go there. Okay, it's a great <laughs> idea. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing awesome. So what about let, you? let's welcome Jamie here. Jamie yeah. Brennan. I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to try to get it right. <laughs> See, I got it wrong. The head of Amazon Global Selling Thailand. Jamie, was I close? That was perfect. Oh, Fantastic. God. Somebody's got to get it right. Yeah, one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I should have left that to Martin. He's better at getting things right than I am. Anyway, before we jump into the main part of this conversation, can we get a little bit of your background for some context? Uh, sure. Uh, although I'm, to be honest, I'm not really that interesting, but let's see. So I have maybe like 15 years of random work experience. I actually started my career working in my family business. Uh, oh. Yeah, it's at 11. I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to say that, Dad. If you're listening, sorry, I outed you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my family business is radio. So actually, I feel really comfortable being here with a mic again. It's been a long time since I've been with one. What, um, what does that mean, the radio business? So did you own radio stations? Yes, uh, WBAM and WAPE. Where so is that? WAPE is in Florida and WBAM is in Alabama. Wow. Yeah. Oh, uh, I guess the BAM should have given it away. Yeah, actually, yes. Um, I'm also a ham radio operator. So the way that call signs are assigned is a whole nother thing that we could talk about. And it's really interesting, but it starts with uh, what the state is. Um, so the W's are all the different frequencies that are done for radio itself for consumer radio on the FM BAM band. And then the BAM side is just what you get lucky with. Really? Yeah. It's totally randomly assigned <laughs> and we're super lucky to have gotten the big BAM in Alabama. Oh, so. Yeah. That's what I mean. Right. <laughs> it's almost, you could call it BAM up, but anyway, let's, let's move on. So you worked at the radio station. I did work at the radio station and then, uh, in total revolution, I was a crisis counselor uh, for oh, wow. four years for rape, domestic violence, and suicide. Okay. And Good for you. that was incredibly hard. And then I was like, I need a break. So I went into marketing. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, because when you're 21 and they ask for work experience, you're like, what have I done before? And I was like, right. I've been on the radio. Does that count? And they're like, absolutely. So yeah, worked in marketing for a long time. And then I found my way here to Southeast Asia. I got super lucky, worked in Malaysia. Oh, then, wow. Yeah. Um, helping a small company called Logical Increments move from Seattle to Malaysia super interesting learned how to build a computer because they're all about parts recommendations and then what else man i've had a really it's not that much interesting stuff um, i'm already super interested <laughs> so then i went to work for lazada and alibaba during the the merger and acquisition portion where i was originally the head of performance for affiliates and worked oh, wow. my way up to Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility and Affiliate Partnerships of CPS, CPI, and KOL. 
And then I got really lucky, got a chance to work for True Digital, which I'm thrilled to be back at the park. It's been <laughs> right? a while since I've been here. Right? So thrilled, thrilled to be back at one of my homes where I got to work on some amazing projects, including True You and some commerce stuff. It was very, very interesting. Uh, and I got a chance to peek into the CP world, which if you know anybody here is in Thailand, you kind of know who I'm talking about. Yeah. It was really interesting to get to look at all 200 plus of the subsidiaries and see mm. how they all function. When Amazon first started, I was living in Japan and I wanted to buy a book. And I remember you could just put your credit card in, you create an account. I still have my original account actually. And I still have my original password to be fair. And I remember thinking, I've got to type in my credit card. I'm not putting my credit card on the internet. There's no way. <clears throat> so what do you have to do instead? They said, call this number. So I felt okay calling some random dude or random gal and giving them my credit card number but didn't trust like putting it into some secure field. Well, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. And this is actually, there was a, a very interesting lunch today by put on by uh, the British Embassy for Cybersecurity. Really fascinating stuff. Oh, wow. This, it made me think back. So I've been in, in some version of tech my entire career. Um, and it really varies uh, the type of tech that it's been. But the reason I got into it is because when I was 21, I looked at the internet and I said, ooh, this is going to be questionable. Like this, <laughs> this is, is, so keep in mind where I was coming from. So I had been working as a, a, a crisis counselor right. where I saw people get stalked and kidnapped. Right. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, and I'd been on the internet since I was a kid, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think I did my first ICQ chat room at like 13. Oh my. Like, uh, so, you know, we've been on the internet before, but people weren't sharing as much. And then when I hit, you know, 21, Facebook, had, you know, Facebook was, I'm not so different in age than Mark Zuckerberg. So like Facebook started while I was in university. And so at 21, it had fairly exploded and like, People were putting their real information online and I couldn't understand it for the life of me. I looked at Facebook the first time and I was like, you must be kidding me. Who would do this? Right? And then I realized that most people had been introduced to it by their friend. They're like, look, I'm right. on this thing and I want to talk to you. So join it. It right. wasn't like ICQ. It wasn't like AIM. It was people you knew that you were talking to online. So it increased the level of trust. And you also, at the same time, it was easy to understand. Like if you wanted to do cool stuff in ICQ, you kind of had to know what you were doing. Right, right, um, right. And remember when you originally searched on Google and it had to be a Boolean search and you like had to understand <laughs> to all of the details? And, yeah. yeah. Right. But people have lost touch with that. They, they've gotten to the point to where they see that these interfaces are more friendly. So therefore, they must be safe. Right. And so I got into technology thinking like somebody needs to be watching this. Like this, this is going to be this, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> right. And in the end, I fell in love with it. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I thought it was a total disaster. <laughs> I do stay up on cybersecurity trends, which is where I think we still have a lot of lack of trust because people have lost that understanding of how it all works right and your your concern about putting a credit card number in totally valid yeah. if you don't understand how cybersecurity works if you don't have a deep understanding of the protocols that are associated with payment gateways why would you trust it right like why <clears throat> would you assume that that's going to be okay and that's very funny because i don't think there's a lot of people who understand that but in countries like France, for example, nobody questioned that at all. Like, Zero, no right? problem. Like, we just put credit cards on. Like, my whole life, I put my credit cards on life. <laughs> and I never really wonder if it was a problem or if it was a reason or if it was something. But 
I, I completely agree with you. Like the awareness of people on that is, is very, very low and they just don't know how it works and what's behind and yeah, and what's the p- protocol and why it's safe basically or why it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, so brave. So, yeah, so brave. All of us. <laughs> so <laughs> what brave. are we doing? <laughs> and well, and the thing that I think also makes a big difference is you look at banking regulation in Thailand, right? So in the US, we have something called FDIC insurance, and you also have credit card insurance. So if somebody steals my credit card mm-hmm. and I can tell my bank, like, I did not do that, I mean, there are some exceptions that apply, but you right. get the money back. Mm-hmm. In Thailand, there is no insurance. No there insurance. is no. I didn't know that, even on the banking system. So if I put. I'm sure I, I'm not a specialist on banking regulation, but I can tell you from the consumer side, as someone who's had their credit card. Or debit card stolen here. Oh no! It's you, eh, they caught it within seven hundred baht. So you know, thankfully, Fair <laughs> thankfully, not going to break the bank today. But we were getting close. Um, so the bank called me and basically said, "You have to tell us to turn this off." And so they canceled my card and we, you know, sorted it all out. But I never got that seven hundred baht back. And in talking to some of my colleagues and things, I found out it turns out that this is one of the big areas of trust. So I would. Love to see someone who is more eloquent than I and more specialized than I, if you're listening, work on this, please. That would be great. <laughs> but that's really interesting because I did not know that. For me, now, I put my credit card anywhere because it, the onus is not on me to prove that it's actually a valid transaction. It's really on the credit card company. That's why they have credit card fees. They have their own insurance, right? At least in the United States, for sure. And in Japan, where I grew up, basically <laughs> it's the same it's the same thing so if you charge something or somebody steals your card you're just like oh okay i'll call them but it's not on you like i've never had an argument about it i got my card stolen once <clears throat> it's like 1500 bucks so it didn't matter but it was i never even worried about it oh i was worried about 700 baht you're like 1500 <laughs> like you and i have a different threshold of worry <laughs> yikes i aspire <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, I, it's, I find it to be really fascinating. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, really fascinating research into the way that consumer credit works in, in Southeast Asia. I mean, the Asia Development Bank does amazingly good research on this. They actually have a super cool tool where you can go onto their site and you can put in like what country and whether you want to look at consumer credit, uh, commercial credit, and it will show you the trends over time of what's been available, what's been repaid. And what we, okay. one of the things that I saw in Thailand that was published not by ADB, but by um, the Bank of Thailand itself is that if you look at the repayment of loans, so true what, what I as an American would define as commercialized credit for right. sellers, has only been around for about five or six years, really been around. But the rate of repayment is twice as fast. Here. Yeah. for Not then America, but then other lines of credit within the same bank. So what does that tell you though? Uh, what it says to me is that sellers in Thailand are really trustworthy and that they're taking an investment, they're making money with it, and they're paying off their debt so that they can then reinvest in their businesses. That's what it says to me. And I believe that we should be giving them more opportunities for that. And honestly, the the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the the Department of Trade, International Trade Promotion, they all agree that, and if you look at the, what Thailand has been doing for the past I don't know, I think it's almost 30 years at this point. Every every four or five years, they put together a a steadily building stream of how are we going to help SMEs, SMBs right. get more access to credit, more financing, more trust online. And I think you see that in the consumer side as well, because 
you know, obviously I'm here representing Amazon. Right. Um, hopefully well. Uh, but I'm also just me and what I learn in my business every day affects how I interact online, how I interact with the rest of my world. So if we get people who are SMEs and SMBs trusting more into the commercialized credit system, trusting more into the online banking system, that's also increasing our consumer trust because they are also consumers. Sure. Right. I mean, it feeds off. There's the velocity of money. If you've studied economics at all, there's a velocity of money theory here, right? Oh, is there? (laughs) I like to refer to it as the Amazon flywheel. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Amazon flywheel. No, but here's what I want. Here's what I do want to ask you about, right? Because you've raised this amazing, you've created this really interesting image in my mind. And change the way I thought about sellers as well. Like I have tons of questions. So you're sitting there and I want to get the title right, right? Amazon Global Selling Thailand and the head of this. And we talked about, I think you said some small percentage wants this, a large percentage wants to sell outside the country, but only a small percentage actually does or a small percentage of their sales does. And when I thought about who these sellers were, I was thinking, you know, like if Martin, we always talk about Martin and his watch business. Even though he doesn't have a watch business, but I just figure he's French. He's probably got a watch business somewhere, <laughs> right? Links, it's which fine. he stole probably. from Switzerland. Anyway. <laughs> but what you're suggesting actually is it's not just individual sellers. And I hadn't thought about this. Again, tell me if I'm wrong. But like if I'm an SME and I've got a product in Thailand that I build in Thailand, I manufacture here, I design here, but I want to sell it in Indonesia. I want to sell it in Malaysia, right? But I'm not just like a couple of guys in a garage but I want to do e-commerce through the Amazon infrastructure, that that is also what you're talking about. And that they as well pay back their credit faster so that they can then go back and invest in their businesses. Is Do I understand this right? Or are you still talking about individual sellers? I am talking about individual sellers because the Bank of Thailand doesn't differentiate. Um, oh, interesting. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the research that we did was not just on Amazon sellers. So we went out and surveyed people that were selling on Amazon and people that were not because we want to understand um, Amazon's uh, one of their leadership principles and our core values is to dive deep. Yeah. We really want to understand for the people in Thailand that are this incredible economic growth engine, what is keeping them from being part of the global economy? I'm really, really passionate about the global digital economy. It is. So am I. I mean, that's my everyday life, right? Right. Exactly. Everything I do has to do with that. Exactly. And as we are starting to hit the, my favorite, the hockey stick, the exponential curve of digitization of everyday life. Right. If we don't get everybody on that curve, you're just going to get left behind, right? Exactly. So, so what do you see from your perspective, right? If you can back up just a little bit, what is preventing a typical either on Amazon or not on Amazon seller based on the research or the information that you have from getting their products to Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, or wherever it is, or even to the United States, right? I was like, we don't operate in those countries. So I'm going to say they should be going to Japan, Singapore, Australia, the EU, the US. (laughs) That's that's where you want to go. Mexico, Brazil. (laughs) These are great places, amazing (laughs) markets. Uh (laughs) Okay, but that's a really good point. Because this is the the follow-on question to that is this. They said Amazon has built a very sophisticated and very efficient logistics business on their own. Right, they've even built their own airport in Kentucky, and they own their own planes. That, I did not know that. They actually. did, <laughs> but they and, and they and they own their own planes. So I guess the real question is, how does a seller in Thailand connect to that infrastructure to be able to sell that in the places where Amazon does sell? So let me let me step back just a little bit and talk about 
the voice of sellers. So my, my job, my role and the role of global selling in general is my job is to be the voice for sellers who don't get a chance to come and talk to you, who don't get a chance to be on podcasts like right, this. Right. And so instead of saying what I believe their problems are, I'll just tell you what they tell us their problems awesome. are. Even better. So 77% of Thai sellers say that the number one issue is language barrier. Mm-hmm. So you wonder like if that is the problem, shouldn't we have a really large translation system? Like, shouldn't there be this big <laughs> ecosystem? And I mean, and there is. So then why, my question is always, why has that not been plugged in? Right. And so, you know, of course there's, there's costs. So many sellers also act, uh, say that access to capital is a big problem. That's why I know all the banking statistics, because if somebody I care about tells me that they're having access to capital problems, it's like, why, <laughs> why would you have that? And something like, 10% of, of people have credit cards here. And in order to sign up on Amazon, you have to have a credit card because you have to be able to pay for the service. But more importantly, it's part of the, the verification of know your customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so to sign up to be a seller, you have to have a credit card. Yes. Got it. Not a debit card, a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you scoring at home. <laughs> No, but that's actually really interesting. And is part of that sort of a legacy built-in system thing? Do you know what I mean? Because because oh. today, uh, even uh, on other e-commerce sites, I can shop COD. I don't ever have to give them a credit card to be a buyer. Right. But to be a seller, I bet you do, right? Because that's the you only know, way they can track your credit in a way. Well, you know, so that's also interesting. If you ever want to really talk about credit score, there's... Um, a guy named Burns who is in the CP group that you should talk to. He's been working on Thai credit score for years. It's really fascinating. So in Thailand, a credit score is not nationalized. It's done by each individual bank and it's based off of your records at that bank. Okay. Uh, by the way, I haven't tried to get a credit card here, have you? It's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to learn a lot about the financial sector, which is not my specialty. Busted. So sorry. Busted. Uh, <laughs> I have not tried to get a credit there, card. There's a lot of interesting stuff here um, around that. But so for Amazon, it's not really a legacy system. There's there's a lot to do with international transactions where you need to know the person. Yeah, KYC. And so for a debit card here, it's not actually tied to a person's name. Uh, if you look at a lot of debit cards, it'll just say customer. Or best, I have, I have one of my debit cards says best one. I'm like, they're best like, what's the name on your card? I'm like, best one. Because <laughs> I'm the best one. How did they know? Uh, I, I know, right? I was like, thank you. It's and that was card. the first one I ever got here. And I was like, well, don't I feel like the prettiest girl at the dance? <laughs> I'm the best one. I mean. Yeah, obviously. And I was like, and then I saw that one of my colleagues had one. And I was like, oh, I'm only one of the best ones. <laughs> but so for, for Amazon, there are definitely charges for being a seller, right? So there's. Uh, Uh, We have a professional account uh, and a personal account option, but it's not, it's not expensive. It's like, you know, 99 cents a transaction on the profession, on the personal. And then it's 39.99 a month for a professional, but that's actually not the point. I mean, that's part of the point because you have to be able to pay for the service, but we also need to know who you are. Um, And with dealing with international paperwork and the amount of requirements to get through, it's important to, to know, but then we see the struggles of Thai sellers. Like how are they, managing this and a lot of them have been very creative have gone out and gotten credit cards just for this and i find that to be an incredible level of perseverance and tenacity which is definitely one of the ways that i would describe uh the sellers here in thailand is that they are absolutely tenacious it's not easy to figure out how to get out of thailand so it's not just about 
you know, what are the the barriers to entry for importing sure. in another place? Like, as I'm sure you're familiar, <clears throat> in Japan, you have to have a customs, uh, a customs, per- what is it, importer of record? Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, team that trained me on Japan. <laughs> we'll get back to you too. Is <laughs> an importer of record for any importation. Um, in Thailand, you have to know who your customer is when you ship something out, and you have to verify who your customer is. So, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. It is a very, very high level requirement, which is why Thailand has what it's a, according to twenty twenty one numbers um, from the UN's economic division, about 65% of Thailand is export-based. 65%. Of the whole economy? The whole economy, export-based. And in a lot of that, like you have some really interesting key categories. So when you you pop open the UN's tool, I I love love a lot of the research tools that are being made by these groups because I could- You do. I feel like I should look over your shoulder when you're at work. Yeah. (laughs) We should just look at what you do. I really do. I'm just like, well, I wonder what she's looking at Oh my God, the UN has a tool. The UN has, okay, <laughs> I didn't know. I, real quick shout out. I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> the UN has amazing tools. You just have to know where to find them. Uh, but the the trade division does incredible research on how things move around the globe. And then there's a lot of websites that are built on top of querying these tools that make it a little bit easier to understand. Um, so what you see is, oh, there's a robot. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so what you see is actually... Um, Chips. So it says, you know, computers and electronics are the to- one of the top exports. But inside of that, it's got nuclear reactor parts, it's got chips, it's got computers themselves, and all of the accessories that go with it. And in the end, the top export is actually chips, so it's not consumer-based, even though it can sometimes be classified as that. So you have this huge amount of exports, but... The paperwork to get out of the country so that you have to know where your customer is going. So then what's the logical conclusion of that? If I'm sending something to a customer, I have to know who the customer is. And I want to be able to send not just one at a time, which is way too expensive coming Mm -hmm. out of Thailand. Mm -hmm. Then I absolutely have to be shipping in bulk and it needs to be wholesale. Because if I'm wholesale, then I'm sending it to one person and it's so much easier. But I... I hate the idea that someone who is passionate and has a project would be limited by something like paperwork and bureaucracy. But this is really interesting, right? Because the whole, I don't want to say the whole economic system, but the exporting system is set up for some big company to sell something to another big company, which is not the modern way that commerce works. And and what I don't think it was on purpose. No, 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 no. But it was set up on. It, it was set up super purposefully to make it easier for big Thai companies to be part of the global economy, and that worked super well. We know that because we live in Thailand. It's not a poor country, and we already talked about CP operates in all these countries and does sixty five billion dollars of revenue. Yes, that does seem like an accurate number. Yeah. I, 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 I cannot I looked argue it up. with you. I looked it up. Well, um, great job. Great job. <laughs> and didn't use the UN, by the way. But but you know what I mean? So when they set it up, they set it up so that people could succeed. But the market shifted really fast, yeah. actually. Yeah. And so actually, I, w- I do want to give a really big shout out to the Department of International Trade and Promotion. We did an event with them. We do a lot of events with them. They're a fantastic partner. Yeah. They see this already as, as one of the problems. And they're... So passionate. If you look at the work that they're doing, um, of course, they're a, a government 
group. And so they, they do have some very specific things, but they are so passionate about helping small and medium enterprises figure out how to get out. So in working with Amazon, they on their own set up a department, uh, a DITP in Los Angeles who acts as an importer for small tie sellers so that they have the ability to kind of mesh into their way of how you get things out of the country. And DITP has done this not just with Amazon, of course, Amazon is our preferred option, (laughs) but they've done this, you know, kind of all over the world in places where Amazon doesn't operate and even places where we do, because we love uh, healthy competition because we don't look at our competition. We look at our customers. Uh, (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Wow. I, I look at the government here and I've had plenty of interactions with them on multiple levels, but at scale, I look at them as an enabler. I yeah. really do. And I think that at least from my perspective, in the in the interaction that I've had, yeah, and I'm just a small individual, it has been overall very positive and with a longer term view and a kind of a research-based view of, wait a second, yeah, all this stuff's happening, but what do we really need to do to make this effective for the whole country? This is what I've seen, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations here are really working towards that. Yeah, um, I feel like including, it. you know, obviously I've been in Thailand for quite some time, but I'm fairly new to this role. I've only been here for about five months oh, in wow. this role. Uh, not that the internet would let you believe that, but I've only been here <laughs> for about five months. Um, shout out to our press team. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of organizations that are really trying very hard to do this. Uh, there is, of course, you know, AmCham, the British chamber, the German chamber, the French chamber, like these guys are all trying to figure out ways to help the Thai government. But there's also with APEC uh, being here this year, there's a lot that's going on. Um, So there's a couple of different streams in APEC that are focused on women in the economy, e-commerce, trade. And what I've seen is that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, especially, has done a lot of work reaching out to the U.S. Trade Department to try to figure out how we can help facilitate these things. And you see the BCG initiative, right? So Biocircular Green has been incredible. And obviously, as previously, the, the the head of CSR for Lazada, I have a big passion point about BCG Um, and sustainable development goals, all of that nerd out all the time. Um, And I think that a lot of the organizations are looking at for this year, while there's so much focus on Thailand, how do we build the infrastructure with the government and with local agencies to actually make these inroads and helping these small sellers get out. So I think um, the other, it's the creative economy ministry. I I apologize, SEMA, I believe. Um, They are doing some really great work with AmCham in trying to bring forth the, the ability for the creative economy to thrive internationally. They've set up hubs up in Chiang Mai. So they're not just focusing on Thailand, which I think, excuse me, on Bangkok, which I think has been a big problem over the past 15, 20 years. And then all of a sudden we had COVID and it's everybody left Bangkok. <laughs> like, boof, it did feel gone. much quieter for the last couple of years. Right. That's right. And, and yeah. everybody's starting to come back and I'm like, oh, there were people here. I got <laughs> another human. And I've just been living in my little apartment. And I'm like, oh, why is it loud again? Well, to be fair, like when we said to you, do you want to come into the studio or do you want to do it remotely? We were expecting remote. Well, if I had but a microphone so, this good. Oh, <laughs> but we wanted so badly for you to come into the studio because so this is better. so much better. But yeah. I think it's a metaphor for, I think, the way business works as well. Remote's great. 90% of the stuff that I do is remote. But this in-person stuff mm-hmm. is great. But COVID did allow people to realize the necessity to look outside of their bubble and say, I am stuck in my apartment. But now I'm talking to somebody in Chiang Mai. 
How can exactly. I affect this, right? How can I make this better? Yeah, exactly. And I also, one of the things that I really wonder about is you look back at other periods of time where there have been changes this significant. And a lot of people, I mean, we always talk about, you know, the period between 1870 and 1940 as like yeah. the, what happened to the world. Right. And I think we're in another cycle like that. I'm not smart enough to put years on it. Um, but we have had major technological advances. Yep. We have had a global pandemic, yep. um, and we are moving into some let's say, interesting times of fiscal policy that will impact the way we see the world. And so you look at that time period, and then you have to learn from that, right? It was a period of exponential growth in a lot of ways. Why? Why did it work so well? And a lot of it was because people had to adapt. I mean, in obviously, I'm saying a lot of this from a very US perspective, because I don't know how many people know this, but the U.S. is not great at teaching world history, really good at teaching American history. So <laughs> you learn a lot about American history. Um, but you had the the Great Depression and you have some of the world's largest companies were founded, started and incubated during that time. Right. And the question is why? Because they didn't want to starve, to right. put it quite bluntly. Mm -hmm. And so now we're looking around and I am, I feel like was incredibly blessed to be in Thailand during COVID. I think a lot of people have done really great work here and we're not hitting the Great Depression. Um, we don't have the, the dust bowl, but what we do have is the same type of opportunity is now is a time where the world is changing and you can adapt and you can ride that upward curve. So how are you as an individual going to ride that upward curve? And whether it's you as an actual person, whether it's you as an SMB, or whether it's you as someone who advises somebody in another company. Right. We talk to a lot of marketing companies that are like, I have these clients and it's like, oh, that's fascinating. People see e-commerce as marketing. I mean, and, and it is in a lot of ways, but that's the avenue they take. And it's, I, I personally wonder, um, and maybe I'm not supposed to say things I personally wonder, uh, <laughs> but I personally wonder if that's because marketing is the group that comes into the board and has to explain ideas. They're the ones that have to really pitch to the board. So maybe that's why companies then go to marketing firms to talk about e-commerce because they're used to having the ideas come from a marketing firm. And either way, I'm just really glad to see that so many more people are having the conversation now. I think it's really interesting the way the world, <clears throat> for better, for worse, paused. It really did for almost two years. It was very strange. But I think part of what that pause is, did is that it shined a light on we can do things differently than what we were doing before. And specifically in the commerce space, one of the reasons why we call this show e-commerce undercover. Mm -hmm. And again, one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you was because we do think that there are things going on in e-commerce that people don't realize yet. And to be ah. fair, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, I don't think people realize, right? This idea that there are all these Thai sellers doing amazing things, but it's hard for them to do. It's harder than it might look. But even if they have a reputation of being X, having an X type of personality, the perseverance and the tenacity is so amazing that they still overcome that. This is the undercover part that people don't know. We know because we're here. But the other part is that they wanna sell more overseas but they have these barriers in the way. One of them is language. One of them is payments. One of them is, <clears throat> you said the KYC stuff, right? One of the things that I keep trying to ex explain, and I think my team does a much better job of explaining, is that e-commerce 
is not a channel, it's a company. Yeah. When yeah, you're yeah, setting yeah. it up, you can't just say, oh, it's, you know, and Amazon, while we absolutely strive to offer incredible service to all of our customers, and we do consider sellers our customers, we're also an American company, which means that we are in the expectation that people will pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We want people to have who have these incredible products to be part of this rise, but you do have to do some of it yourself. And there's market research. And these are things that are, that are, they're not hard if you've done it once, right. but the first time is really difficult. Yeah, And that's why we see some sellers come in and just do really, really great off the bat. And then some sellers, they take one or two years to really, really get going, but then they hit that exponential curve. Mm -hmm. And right now everyone has paused. They've had a moment to sit back and say, what do I want to do next? What can I do that's going to build my family, my business for the next generation? Right. Because one of the things I think we're also seeing is I think we've all become a little bit more aware of, of generational systems. Yeah. Everybody was so worried about their parents, their grandparents. It's like you, you, you became more aware of the value of all the generations. And so now I see people, and this is, you know, not even just at Amazon, because I also do some, uh, I'm, I'm a mentor for a bunch of different startups. Um, you see really, really young people talking about what am I going to do for my parents? What am I going to do to help bring yeah. them into this economy? And I find that really, really fascinating. And also, brings so much hope to me because it requires a large amount of mental flexibility to shift to an entirely new business. And so you see mm -hmm. these really, these really great companies that are like, I'm going to do e-commerce and here is a hundred thousand dollars and go. Right. And it's, like, <laughs> right. it's that easy. Exactly. And, and in a lot of channels, that's true. But when I, what I want people to really understand, if we're talking about something that people by and large truly don't understand about e-commerce is that it is not something that you can just throw money at. It is a strategy and it is a team and it is a whole new business. And then it grows on its own and it is its own self-perpetuating cycle. That's what we're looking for. You want to have the gusto and the passion and the mindset of I'm building something. This is something new. This is something you can do forever. But you can't do it by just throwing money at it. Interesting. So yeah, I have a question about that because like, how do you help or how would you help sellers to actually like overcome whatever language barrier, but also like all the marketing barrier into selling into another country, into an, another culture where you don't know the people at all. Like for example, I'm used to doing e-commerce in France, but if tomorrow you say Martin sell in Thailand, I have to learn everything on the culture and how mm -hmm. advertising works here and what kind of marketing message and videos and all of that works. And I have no idea. And I'm... In Thailand, so I guess my learning curve is going to be faster because I'm in Thailand. But if you tell me Martin, you get to do that in Brazil, for example, <laughs> it's going to be super compli com com complicated. Even if I already do e-commerce in France, so I, I'm wondering, like, how can Thai sellers get help on the marketing side and on this culture understanding into a country that they might don't know anything about or they don't go there? I'm really wondering how we can help them. Well. <laughs> First of all, I believe in the power of the individual to educate themselves. Uh, but the the reality is this is part of why we're here. So, you know, we're not a market research company. We're Amazon. We're, we're an assistance. 
we do a lot of education around this, like how to select the best product. What are the hot tips and trends in each market? And we do these, my gracious, I think the team probably does at least five webinars a week on, on different things. Like some of it's how to do listing. So when you're promoting your product, how do you do that so that it shows up in search results so that it is aligned with the customer that you're looking for. So that's what the local team is doing. They're here saying, you might not know about this, but here are the top 10 trends coming up for prime day in 2022, which, you know, keep your eyes out for prime day. It's coming soon. Don't you worry. (laughs) Uh, So, this information available for French sellers as well, for example? Absolutely. Yeah, so you have, so, so that's done with the same content that you give to front sellers, you give that as well in Thai to Thai sellers so can, as well. So that's a complicated question. Short answer okay. is yes, that our okay. our education system is is broadly scaled. Okay. However, there is a lot of localization. And so when I say here is what the Amazon seller central portal amazing seller university okay. has this is content that is widely available across all of the regions with some exceptions um okay. because there are some things that just don't apply to certain markets right. we're not going to pepper you with how to speak portuguese when you're mm-hmm. trying to learn english it's just not <laughs> helpful um but what the thai local team here does is they actually localize one of the things that i see so when we have sellers say that there's 77 percent of them that cite this language barrier issue. A lot of the language barrier is not that they don't speak English. Uh, it is that the content, they don't understand how to localize it. This piece that you're saying is like, how, how do mm-hmm. I, localize. how do I get into the market? And there's a huge difference between translation and localization. And I will beat that drum maybe until the day I die yeah. because there's such a, <laughs> such a lack of understanding about this. Still but though, right? It's still, still, it amazes me. They're just like, I say this all the time, like localization isn't just changing the font because that's the way I look at it, right? And it's not just translating it. You can't just take something here, put it into Portuguese or whatever and just be like, we're done because embedded in the language is the culture. So if you don't change the wording... It could sound horrible. Well, and it's not even the wording. One of the the best examples <clears throat> that I, I like to use is from a long, long time ago. It was 100, 100, 100 years ago in my life in advertising. <laughs> so I worked on um, Eli Lilly as oh. one of my clients. And we did a comparison of, of marketing of different prescriptions uh, across the globe, like in each country. It's like, okay. what does it look like? And I won't say which type of prescriptions we were looking at uh, because pretty sure I'm still under NDA about that. Um, you sign a lot of stuff when you're young. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I still and, have a personal services contract. Anyway, and go ahead. So then there, th- we took all the imagery and we direct translated what the ad said and we showed the different images. And what we saw is that in the US, the ads that performed the best were more rugged they were very individualistic. Um, you know, think think man in a truck with his dog. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and a shotgun. The, the language was very clear and very sharp. Like, you can do this. Like, yeah. But then when we looked at France, see, it always comes back around. So when we looked at France, <laughs> I'm leaving. Same, same exact uh medication was shown in a family context. The language was very soft. Okay. It was more along the lines of we can do this. It's like you're supported. And Interesting. It's, 
we ran at both types of ads in both places, right? And it was the difference in the performance. And similar to how I'm saying, this is how we did it at a large marketing firm. This is also what I suggest to every person who sells anywhere and does anything is market testing. Mm-hmm. And now let's, let's not scare people. Let's not scare people. I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are incredibly smart but I am also hoping that there are some people who are really new to e-commerce yeah, there to hear are. this. Um, so I love data, huge data nerd. Uh, when we talk about, or when I, not we, there's we're not royal over here. When I talk about market <laughs> testing, it's very much saying, I am going to try this product and I'm going to say these words, and then you watch it and say, how do these words perform? And you look at someone else who's selling the same product and say, do they perform better? Are they showing up better in search results? Yeah. And then you adjust. It's very game theory. E-commerce, I mean, I, ooh, this can be controversial, but <laughs> e-commerce is like game theory just sped up. <laughs> <laughs> e-commerce is like everything sped up. And this, this idea that a lot of people have, um, but I am seeing it change in general, is that I put up my, my product. I write about my product. My product is great. It will just grow on its own. Yeah, no. A seed does not grow when you drop it on concrete. (laughs) You have to. You have to put it in soil. You have to water it. You got to go check it to get the bugs off of it. This is what you need to do in your market testing. So I always suggest that when you want to enter into a new market, when you want to enter a new product, even a new category, any of this, you do more than one. Mm -hmm. If you want to say, uh, you know, so some of the biggest uh, categories coming from Thailand going into the U.S. on Amazon are going to be things like home goods, jewelry, health and beauty, uh, furniture. Love some love some Thai furniture, some amazing products. And of course, apparel, textiles, these sorts of things. Don't start with one chair and be like, well, my chair is amazing. So obviously my chair will do well. You start with five chairs and you say, which one of my chairs does everyone else think is amazing? Mm-hmm. And you send those five chairs and you see which one sells first. Because when you sign up on Amazon, um, and I do highly suggest, I mean, there's a lot of people that do our Merchant Fulfilled Network, but under FBA, which is the Fulfilled by Amazon, you get a lot of help. And if you're just getting started, you you might need the help. Or white knuckle it, go team go. Like you want to do it, you can go MFN and we will introduce you to people to help you. Back to your earlier question of like, what do we try to do to help people? We make a lot of introductions. And under FBA, one of the things that we do is that you send a thousand of your product to us. And it doesn't have to be the exact same product. It's a thousand units. And then you can see which units sell and which don't. And that helps you build your brand. And then when you restock, you then bring in the one that sold well. (laughs) And you don't stop doing that ever. The companies that do well are constantly refreshing their product. They are constantly building new products. And they are constantly looking at R&D. I would say one of the things that I consider to be the least understood is what what is the purpose of r and d and r and d is not just about new products it's about the new listings it's about the optimization mm-hmm. and a lot of organizations i see and this is not from not something i have seen at amazon it's something i've seen ubiquitous across southeast asia with right. the with the exception of probably singapore um and indonesia and vietnam they the level of frugal innovation coming out of vietnam and indonesia is just astounding um it's that people don't take this this constantly iterative approach 
And if you're not, then you're just on your way down, not up. So yeah, you have to keep go, climbing just the mountain. sideways, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or just going sideways, I think. Yeah. So, sorry, that was a super long ramble. We introduce people. We introduce people to a lot of friends who can help do a lot of things. Does that answer your question? So, but it brings me to another question. Oh, sure. Who He's are our like, friends? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not yet. After. <laughs> no, but I'm wondering, like, if people in the world, if they right. see made in Thailand for some product, does what it is it? it? Like, is it silk? Is it yeah. like what is it? When for people example, think yes, like, oh, silk. I want that thing from Thailand. Uh, what is it? So. I think that depends a lot on whether they've come to Thailand or not. So there are a lot of people who look at a product and they're like, oh, I I really love elephant pants because mm-hmm. I went to Thailand. Right. Yeah, yeah, for example, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not a Thai branded product. Mm-hmm. They make elephant pants all over the world, but they're mostly associated with Thailand. And you can buy it, elephant yeah. pants on Amazon right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In most countries. That's the funniest part. Uh, from Thai sellers. From Thai sellers. <laughs> That's awesome. Globally. From, yeah. Glo- everybody's happy. <laughs> everybody's happy. Uh, but even people who have never been to Thailand like elephant pants mm-hmm. because they're comfortable. They're they're inexpensive. And especially during COVID, they're just something you can wear around the house, right? I mean, yeah. I'm proud to be wearing real pants today. That was an exciting day. Uh, <laughs> so am I. But... For products that are made in Thailand, you know, this isn't, this isn't the eighties. It's not like we have this, it's made in Taiwan. It's made in Japan. It's more, how good is the product? And so you've got amazing, amazing sauces. Like some of the Thai snacks, I think people don't even associate with Thailand at all. Uh, One of the ones I I tease my nephew about it because I got him addicted to these and now he can buy them on Amazon is the... The air fried chili peppers, that's like my favorite snack because you can't eat that much of it. One, one of my buddies went to um, <clears throat> somewhere in Central America. Oh, I wish I could remember where it was. Panama. No, it wasn't Panama. <laughs> Do we See, the American school system's also not good at geography. <laughs> it's just so far away. But one of the things that he was served when he was there and they said, look at this amazing Sri Racho sauce. And he was like, that's so weird because I live like right near there. Right. Yeah. But they don't necessarily know, at least according to this guy, they didn't necessarily know it was from Thailand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really good question though, right? I'm really wondering. <laughs> and now yeah. it's mostly made in the US. Really? They're... Yeah. I guess Red Bull is the same type of thing. Right. But right. But that's a not, I mean, we could spend an hour or more talking about supply chains and like where the product's really from, where it right. originated, where it became famous. You know, all these kinds of things, I think, in the modern world. And I think e-commerce is doing a lot of this, actually. Sure. Right. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff. So actually, our Italian... Okay, so there's global selling, which it's you're located in a country and you help sellers in that country go globally. Global. So our Italian global selling team worked with the... Uh, Amazon e-commerce marketplace in Japan and actually built a made in Italy page where it shows all of the different products that are from Italy in order to create that nationalized mm-hmm. brand. And I think the that there's a lot of ministries here that have worked on on things like that helping to brand things as being from Thailand. Right. But I think to the end consumer we've moved beyond that. What we trust a lot more is what another person says about the product. It's so true though. Uh, So, you know, when another thing that we always talk about with our new sellers is you want to do ads because ads help your product get seen. And if your product gets seen, it gets bought. If it gets bought, it gets reviewed. 
make sure you get reviews. Views. Reviews yeah. are incredibly important. Like don't, don't, don't reach out directly to customers because that's <laughs> going to make them upset. <laughs> like, right. Don't do that. Right. Figure out a way to get the but review out there. if you make a good product, you advertise <clears throat> your good product, your product will sell and it will get reviews. Because I mean, of course, Amazon does send follow-ups like, was that product cool? <laughs> and we're like, tell us all about it. Uh, <laughs> Because we want to help those sellers. So I think it's actually, the question is not, what do consumers want from Thailand? The real question is, what is the unique value proposition of the businesses in Thailand to the rest of the world? And that is vast. Do you have some example? Um, well, I mean, dried <laughs> chili is my personal favorite. <laughs> um, there's also, we've done, you know, I, I, I believe I'm allowed to mention Banana Joe because they've done a lot of, of some seller conferences and press tours with us. So they are a women owned business that makes banana chips and other healthy snacks nice. that sell incredibly well across the globe. Very, very popular. Um, there's also, I will say, I keep going back to furniture and not just because I've just redone the furniture in my house and <laughs> bought a lot of Thai furniture, but Thai furniture is really incredibly good. Mm. And a lot of it's beautifully artistic. One thing that I found that was fascinating to me is there is a particular object that I bought for my house and it is a rectangle that is twisted, but it's wooden. And so it's hand carved gorgeous and you can find them all over the place here uh so i bought some because they're they're a great height for can be a planter stand can be a stool can be whatever and so i think furniture is a really good one apparel is one so what i would say is when i you know did market assessments uh in past lives what i would always look at is what is truly different inside of thailand mm -hmm. like what what do, what do we have a lot of that's not as interesting in other places. So, I mean, I think some of the really easy ones are silver jewelry. Yeah. Come on. I'm going to Chiang Mai in a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> and all I keep thinking about is like, I've been circling places. Like I'm going to buy <laughs> earrings here. And this is where Christmas is coming from. This wrist doesn't have a silver bracelet, just in case you're curious. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Noted. Just in case you're going do, to Chiang Mai. Do you Mai, like elephants? Because not necessarily, no, but not I mean, I don't complain a lot either. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so, I would say that there's really interesting opportunities in apparel, furniture, health and beauty. Um, I would say there's also some very interesting like health trends that we're seeing come out of Thailand and going into the U.S. that are very, very good. Um, I think it's no surprise to anyone either here, watching at home, whatever it may be, that uh, health food is a bit of a trend. Um, mm -hmm. People got a little plump during COVID, yours, in yours included. Uh <laughs> And so a lot of people are getting onto health food kicks. And one of the things about Thailand is a lot of the snacks are by and large quite healthy. Um, you know, you've got the, of course, the banana chips, the dried chili flakes. You've also got things that are by nature keto and keto is a huge trend, um, partially because I'm on keto. And so I feel like it's in my, my personal echo Everybody chamber. Right. Everybody's in. <laughs> right. Because you're, you're online echo chamber. Right. Exactly. So it was like, I'm pretty sure everybody's doing keto, but I might be wrong about that. Um, but a lot of Thai snacks are naturally keto. So you've got things like uh, pork rinds, you've got uh, fish skins, you've got all of these things that are naturally keto and also delicious. Um, and they're developed here. And the flavoring here is also quite unique. And people yeah. are a bit bored of what they could find down the street wow. from their house. So I don't know, interesting flavor profiles. But the beauty of it is that if you just are willing to give it a try, you are unique. You just don't know how unique you are. And you don't know which thing is going to be the most unique.
but that's a super long drawn out version of the answer to that question <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> should we end there this has been amazing unless you have more i have one more question go for it. may i ask I go for it can i make it <laughs> No, it's like, I was just wondering, like, listening to you talking about all of the great examples of what we can sell, you know, outside of Thailand. Like, we saw that dropshipping has been a trend, like, like since, like, maybe five or six years ago. And we saw mm -hmm. a lot of people doing dropshipping from, from mainly China into U.S. or Europe. And some of them using a Amazon to, to, to do that. And I'm wondering, like, do you have this kind of, let's say, partners who work with you to help you bridge the gap between selling through Amazon to the global market and with the seller who maybe have some barrier language or we don't really understand how we can do that. So maybe mm -hmm. do you have some third party who can bridge the gap and can that drop ship the product from the Thai local uh, manufacturer to the global market through mm -hmm. Amazon? Yes and no. Okay. So, um, I will think. So, dropshipping is a very big trend, and I would say the way that I will quantify what opportunities there are is that we wouldn't technically label it dropshipping. Mm -hmm. That's that's the yeah. yes and no. Mm -hmm. But the infrastructure that you're talking about, the language barriers, marketing support, logistics support, all of this. We have a lot of friends. Uh, okay. So there are global <laughs> friends called the Service Provider Network. And if you're interested, let me know. Uh, the Service <laughs> Provider Network is companies that have passed a very rigorous vetting process with Amazon. Okay. And we can say that this person or this organization mm. is who they say they are. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't recommend them per se, uh, but we, we can vouch for them that they are who they say they are. Yeah. Then we also have uh, additional service providers that are in the process of being put into the network because it can take a while for global vetting to happen. Yeah. And so those are people inside of the local market that may not be suitable for someone in India to use. Mm -hmm. For example, we have a couple of logistics partners that are really great at first mile to port. Mm -hmm. A seller in India does not need a Thai first mile to port partner so they don't get put into our global service provider network. They're here in our local network. And these organizations cover a broad range of services because we as, as Amazon Global Selling for reasons of scale efficiency and also so I don't get in trouble, uh, <laughs> cannot provide all of those services. But that doesn't mean we don't want you to succeed. So what we do and what I've always loved about e-commerce in general is this idea of helping to develop a, a group around it that can co-evolve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the more interesting things I've seen from COVID actually is that there are more facilitators. Thailand right now, I think that these types of partners can be really, really incredible. And I view my, my job and my team's job as helping Thai sellers to understand what is the possible path And then what are the way markers that you'll need to know that you're going to be successful? So here's what they are. And here are some people who could help you at each step of the way. I am your map guide. Here is your Sherpa. Right. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do here. And yeah, we have partners at this point. Um, I would say somewhere around 45 who are covering all of these areas of business, including a few who are coming on board right now, who hopefully I can come back and we can talk a little <laughs> bit about them in the future. Or we can get them back or we can get them into the studio. Yeah. I'd but, love to have them on the show as well. Yeah. For there's sure. some really great ones out there. I'd love to see them. Okay. Let's, let's stop here. That'd be perfect. 
<laughs> we cannot. <laughs> Are you, you sure? I agree. With I've you. gotten the approval. So Jamie Brennan, the head of Amazon Global Selling in Thailand, thank you so much for coming in for doing this today. This was awesome. Really awesome. Very informative, very fun to do, mm -hmm. and a long time coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that after all these years, we finally got a chance to work together. And it's a pleasure to meet you as it's well. It's a pleasure to meet you yeah. as well. What a thank fantastic you. day. And thank you for, <laughs> honestly, thank you for letting me talk about something I'm so passionate about. Yeah, you can feel it. Like, <laughs> you can definitely feel it. I think everybody can feel it. Everybody can tell. There's no faking going on No faking at all. No. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks a lot.